0: good morning morning. thank you for welcoming me here for being open to this worshipful weaving idea so that together we can try this experiment what will happen if our three congregations hear the same three sermons from three pastors experiments are central to a style of pastoral care that I practice which applies Gestalt perspectives. So Gestalt work is not so much turned toward what is wrong, but toward what's blocking the health or wholeness that is surely present. Forgiveness is one form of institutional healing I'm interested in exploring experimentally. The first part of today's reading raises this topic, sin and forgiveness. Sin, as I understand it, is missing the mark of a goal in relationship. I'd like to talk about the relationship bullseye of us and God as shalom, wholeness, peace. And sometimes we're off the mark. And forgiveness can be the do-over that is needed. And I'm thinking here of ordinary harm, not 10 commandment biggies. I I do not believe that forgiveness is what's needed first to address the sins against our planet that are causing climate change or the harm that keeps on happening as racism. Reparations are needed for larger than everyday sins and also sometimes for the ordinary ones. Curiously, Jesus offers forgiveness first in this story. we have no idea of the specifics of this man's sins. Mark's Gospel doesn't make a case for cause and effect connection between sin and physical illness, or even a case for challenging that worldview. That's not the controversy that crops up in this scene. The clash happens for the religious leaders who were shocked that Jesus was offering Forgiveness to someone. In the current religious system of that time and place, only God offered forgiveness, and only at the temple. So Jesus not only handed out forgiveness, he passed the authority to do so to his followers. As a hallmark of this alternative society that he called kingdom of God. The Mennonites have valued the practice of forgiveness being made readily available as one way in which the Church participates in shalom. Admittedly, mostly dishing it out as peacemaking to others while struggling to offer it interpersonally. In our congregation, we're making a new effort to deal with everyday harm, the Mennonite on Mennonite harm using a toolkit called peaceful practices, accepting conflict as potentially holy ground, understanding different styles of dealing with conflict, slowing us down to be curious and communicate compassionately, seeking healing of relationships one on one, hoping, expecting even that it ripples out from here. I see potential for this way of practicing forgiveness that could affect our larger community in extraordinary ways. Those angry men there that day with Jesus, when a man came down through a hole in the ceiling, they could not accept that forgiveness was accessible to all. They couldn't see it. What they could see was a person who had been paralyzed beginning to walk. Jesus offered healing by forgiving, then Jesus offered healing in the form of physical health, out of compassion and also to make a point, point. and Jesus simultaneously instigated healing for an institution that kept tight boundaries around who could be forgiven an institution that withheld forgiveness. There are some ritualized ways in which our churches speak of confession and forgiveness, and I loved the liturgy that we spoke together this morning on confession and forgiveness. Today, I'm interested in the forgiveness that could be passed back and forth between people any day especially people in churches that avoid resolving conflict and prefer to let those grudges just stack up. Maybe this congregation doesn't avoid resolving internal conflicts. Then you'd have much to teach us. (laughs) Could we experiment with being churches that are radically resolving conflicts internally and then watch how that flows out to our larger community? Is taking time to resolve ordinary conflicts a path toward resolving the big ones? An antidote for the divide and conquer strategies that get us down, especially in an election year. This is a way to offer healing to one another that I believe has a healing effect on a church or group of churches and beyond. I can imagine that witnessing forgiveness in that house that day could have inspired others to ask for forgiveness themselves. After the man stood up and picked up his mat, I wonder if the people that were packed like sardines in that house, the ones who needed then to scooch over to make a way for that man to walk out. I wonder if they sought his forgiveness. I wonder if any of them took time to say, Hey, I'm sorry I didn't move out of the way when you arrived with your friends. I'm sorry I wanted to get close to Jesus so badly that I didn't let you go ahead of me. And I'm sorry I have seen you before and I never offered to help you get anywhere. Please forgive me. I also have to think about this story as a pastor of a church whose building is inaccessible to people with mobility challenges. Please forgive us for not yet having a meeting house that everyone can get into. So far we're missing that mark and we keep working toward it. Now, I realize that a sermon on healing individual healing or institutional healing is likely to be received with skepticism, right? I recently rewatched the movie Leap of Faith. Steve Martin plays the lead. A fake faith healer with a traveling tent revival. That imagery of healing is not what I'm advocating. I have studied Gestalt pastoral care under Tilda Norberg, who discovered this intersection of Gestalt psychology and healing prayer. The core understanding is that God desires wholeness for us. We may not know what that could look like, what a cascade of healing might include. I've witnessed a person being released from the burden of lies that they believed about themselves. I've seen a person receive courage to pursue a new vocation. I've experienced healing from misplaced guilt and escapes from narrow interpretations of religion. It's as if the wholeness, the shalom that God intends, is like a stream of water that is blocked. And removing one twig allows the force of that stream to move any other obstacles. I believe forgiveness can be that twig for one person or for a body of people. Or that twig could be one relatively small group of people helping instigate healing of broken institutions that wield power government entities and laws that do harm. So the second part of the story we heard, read today, of the man with the withered hand, centers on the issue of breaking a law for good. Jesus was accused of breaking Sabbath because he healed that man, and that qualified as work on the Sabbath. Sabbath-keeping was unique in that historical context, a practice given to the people after they escaped slavery in Egypt. A day off from work for rest and worship after zero days off for hundreds of years. A day to be like Creator who rested on the seventh day. A built-in weekly reminder that production and competition for survival or status isn't the lord of life. A day that reminds us that God intends for everyone to have enough. That there is a way to live free from domination of the spirit of endless acquisition and free to help those who suffer, especially on Shabbat. It is lawful to do good. Every day. Jesus was challenging a law that was being twisted to trap him, a law that lacked compa- compassion for someone who was suffering. <clears throat> it was another entry point for healing the religious institution that prioritized rule following over compassion. I think it's worth looking at this story of Jesus acting to expose an institution's brokenness in light of the work that we do collaboratively on challenging laws at the state level. I'm grateful for the examples of Pastor Kayla and Pastor Isabel showing me the ropes of Kansas interfaith action. I'm energized by the possibilities ahead of us as a group of three churches collaboratively building a tri-faith justice team that will lead our work. Meeting for the first time on Wednesday evening this week. Something I love about the collaboration of our churches is that we name the same isms to strive against. Racism, colonialism, white Christian nationalism, Mennonites and others would add militarism. We care about challenging laws that oppress people and cause suffering. Lobbying, showing up at the Capitol, voting and sharing information that other voters need, phone banks, these are all good ways to challenge what's happening in the legislature and to work for change. I'm inspired to dream about doing even more. And recently that inspiration comes from Mennonite Action. A new effort at influencing foreign policy was civilly disobedient singing. Now, Mennonites have a seventy-five year history of standing with Palestinians, and we strive to do so while also working against anti-Semitism. Since Hamas's attack on Israel October seventh. Mennonite action organizers began to amplify a voice for a permanent ceasefire as a starting point to come to the aid of Gazans. Mennonites are a small Christian group, and we had to do something. First, we brought a demand for ceasefire to our elected officials in mid-December at 40 different sites across the U.S. and Canada. Then on January 16th, week and a half ago, over 300 Mennonites of all ages descended on Washington, D.C. for an unannounced public hymn sing. A group of 135, including my spouse Bob, showed up in the rotunda of the Cannon House office building to sing songs of peace and to shout chants of Let Gaza Live. With banners painted like quilts with messages of, send food, not bombs, and free all hostages. They were prepared to be arrested, and they were, and all were released. And simultaneously, 200 more Mennonites were singing the same songs outside, with more quilt banners of Mennonites for a ceasefire. And then small groups delivered a petition with 5,000 signatures, to staffers, when the ones who had been obtained were released, or detained, were released, there were volunteers organized to pick them up and take them back to the church where they'd had training to feed them pizza and to listen to their stories. This peaceful civic civil disobedience stands out as a successful experiment because we were able to leverage our identity and the unexpectedness of this action. It had never occurred to me before that four-part harmony and quilts could be used to change international policy. (laughs) Friends, what would it look like for our three churches to stand together in Topeka for what we all know needs changing in a collective public action? What unique characteristics of our combined congregations could be leveraged to bring about institutional healing in those halls of power? We've already begun reconfiguring the walls between our churches, learning as we go. This is already a form of healing between our institutions. I believe the simple and beautiful reality of our gift of being able to work side-by-side, could have a healing effect on Kansas laws and on those who suffer under those laws. So I look forward to whatever kinds of good trouble we can get into together as a way of bringing God's wholeness and as in the call into God's presence as agents of reconciliation and wholeness.